Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Just kidding. It's a regular, regular episode. Um, starting out with America the Beautiful for a very secret, specific reason, which you will find out why once we start reviewing our book. We are back. We are back this week with a novel called The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. But before we do that, as per usual, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I want to thank all of our new supporters that have been starting to listen, all of our new followers on Twitter. Uh, that's super exciting. We've been making a lot of connections there. Um, I've been checking out a lot of new podcasts, which I'll uh, throw out the names of them a little later. But to all those guys and gals who are checking us out and enjoying what you're hearing, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. We'd obviously be nowhere without listeners, right? So I really, really appreciate all the support. And, of course, everybody that's listening from uh, back in the day, like January, um, I appreciate you guys, too, of course. All my friends, all my relatives, all my people, I really appreciate you guys for checking me out and sticking with me. Um, even if it's not every episode, just listen to the ones that you think are interesting. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, let's see. So, with no messages from last episode. A couple of discussions that happened, actually, during, um, the, especially the week of spring break that I had had off. Uh, we had a couple friends over for dinner here at our place next to the brook. And, of course, you know, after everybody sees the three bookcases, which are chock full of books, we all start discussing our favorite authors and favorite novels and different things like that. And uh, a new friend of mine, Brittany. Uh, hey, Brittany and Jameson. How are you guys doing, if you're listening? Um, we started talking about sci-fi uh, authors that we really liked. And Brittany brought up an author named uh, N.K. Jemison, who is apparently a female author. Um, very, very well-known in the sci-fi world. Um, I'm not as well-versed, like I've said before. 
in sci-fi, but she told me that if I liked um, Octavia Butler, then I'd really I should give N.K. Jemisin a chance. And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. Uh, Brittany says she read Bloodchild, and I was like, that's so cool because Bloodchild was my favorite Octavia Butler uh, piece up until I read. Uh, Kindred. So I told her I, if she wanted to borrow Kindred, she could check that out and she could listen to the episode. And uh, so we got to have a little exchange on our favorites, which was really fun and cool. And I loved, obviously, I loved getting to meet them. We had a great time at our Passover Seder. Um, but it was also fun to share some of our favorite authors and favorite novels. Uh, so that was that. And also, also, um, uh, my other friends were over, uh, Vic and Keith. Hey, guys, how you doing? Um, and we always discuss our favorite books and favorite uh, authors and different things like that. And we were talking about A Wrinkle in Time. And first of all, I made an executive decision. Vic, if you're listening, the episode where I do A Wrinkle in Time, you are going to be my guest host. <laughs> because you're the one that's been saying since I started the podcast that A Wrinkle in Time should be featured on here, and I completely agree. It's an amazing, amazing novel. I want to reread it again, but since it's YA, it'll be super quick. Um, it's so good, but we de- she and I need to make a time where we can record together um, so, because she needs to be around for that. Uh, but also, we were talking about um, comparing that to uh, 1984, and actually there's some pretty good um, alignments between that and 1984. It's kind of like the... A really great way to like introduce uh, young readers into like the dystopian mindset, uh, which will you know obviously help them throughout all their further readings into like Brave New World and 1984 and Animal Farm and all that kind of stuff. So we had some pretty good discussions about that, but we can get into that more when we actually have our episode on A Wrinkle in Time. So thanks, Vic, for that interesting conversation. Thanks, Brittany, again, for the shout-out for N.K. Jemison, who I just started following on Twitter, so that was really rad. If she sees me and wants to follow me, she's got, like, a gajillion followers. But, you know, if she wants to follow me and check it out, that'd be great. I'll have to read some of, something of hers and, uh, and do an episode. But that was pretty cool to learn about a new author. Okay. Where else am I, what else am I doing here? I have a huge, (laughs) I've started taking many more notes to try to keep myself organized, and now I feel like I'm maybe a little overwhelmed. Maybe I shouldn't have taken so many notes. But no, it's it's important to keep yourself organized. Um, Our contact info, if uh, anybody wants to get in touch and make any comments about today's show or about any previous episodes, you can contact us on Twitter. That seems to be the most popular way to get in touch with me right now. Um, I'm on constantly. Um, I'm fielding people's questions or just retweets or whatever all around during the course of the day. So that is at Brook Reading Pod, all one word, B-R-O-O-K, reading, P-O-D. That is our Twitter. And then you can email us as well at brookreading at gmail.com. Okay? And uh, some places, obviously, that you can listen to the show. That's the most important thing. Uh, get the word out as to how you can either download or just listen to the show. Uh, you can do it on the iTunes podcast app. That's how I listen to most of my podcasts. You can do it on the Spotify app or on the Spotify site. You can download us directly from Lipson. Or, really, really good news, as of in within the past 48 hours, you can now listen to us on the Stitcher app. What's up? I'm so excited about this one because I heard about Stitcher actually by listening to uh, the What Say You podcast, which is... Um, Q and Sal's from Impractical Jokers podcast that they do, just like separate from the show, where they just goof around and talk about whatever. Um, they 
promote Stitcher a lot on their podcast, and Stitcher actually had an award show a few years ago, which I don't know if they still do, but uh, they won Best New Podcast, I believe it was 2014 or 2015, from the Stitcher Awards, maybe 2016. I can't remember. I didn't mean to quote all that kind of stuff or get into all that, but um, Stitcher is apparently blowing up a lot. Um, I believe it's uh, BMW where they're um, outfitting Stitcher into the radio systems, like kind of how they did when Sirius came out. Uh, So that's really cool. So like podcasts are, you know, obviously blowing up in a huge way. Um, And I feel like if Stitcher is going to be like the future of podcasts, I mean, we'll always have iTunes, obviously, but if maybe people are making the transition from like a Spotify or whatever to Stitcher, um, I'm really excited to be on that bandwagon. I actually like I downloaded the app and then I searched for the book reading podcast and it came up. So I was super excited about that. I posted a picture on Instagram if you follow me there. I posted on Twitter, and I'm just really, really jacked to have that going. Um, Also, again, more stuff in the past, like, eh, 48 to 72 hours um, on top of having the new outlet via Stitcher. um, A lot of the podcasts that I've started to listen to and that I've connected with on Twitter are um, Australian or international podcasts. I don't think I've hit a period since I started, so I'm going to slow down. Okay, a lot of the podcasts that I've just started listening to, uh, internationally speaking, are on Stitcher, too. They use that as well. So I don't know if it's more popular over there to use apps such as Stitcher or Spreaker um, as opposed to, like, Spotify or downloading directly from Libsyn, so, which is okay. So that's another reason why I wanted to jump on Stitcher, too, to give those guys another way to find my podcast. Um, but speaking of getting the word out and, you know, create and being part of this whole like podcasting community that's kind of happening right now, um, I started, I got in contact with some of the people that uh, started using the hashtag Pottern Family on Twitter. So if you are a podcast and you are part of the Pottern Family podcast, uh, shout out to all of you guys. There's so many. I mean, there are so many that, you know, they talk about film. They, uh, they just talk about whatever. Oh my god, I can't even think of the amount of ones that I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain now thinking of. Uh, so I Married a Movie Geek podcast is underneath there. My Countdown podcast guys are under there. Uh, Paul and Wayne, you guys are super, super funny and awesome. I love you. Uh, the Fan Film Boys with a Z uh, who review uh, fan-created short films based on popular movies or whatever. Uh, you guys are awesome, too. They're under Potter Family. Um, Gidjavon LaRue, who does the Retro Cinema Podcast, which is, like, all 80s all the time, and I fucking love that podcast because she reviews any movie that came out in the 80s, and I've already listened to her Stim Magnolias episode, which was wonderful, and she just does a lot of really cool stuff. Um, so many comics and motion podcasts, so there's a lot of comics. Um... David, the producer, I'm actually on my Twitter right now and I'm just going through because I have to just call out some of these people. So many of them have been retweeting my stuff or uh, just liking my stuff and I'm really appreciative of that. Yep, there's the Retro Cinema. She's so awesome. Um, oh my God, so much. Sorry, I should have had this a little more organized. We watched a thing. Those guys are super funny. Um, yeah, so if you, especially film stuff or comics or just like comedy in general, if you're really into stuff like that, uh, if you follow the hashtag Potter and family on Twitter, so that's P O D E R N family. It's kind of like a play on modern family. If you just type in that 
hashtag on Twitter, you're going to get a shit ton of new podcasts that you can check out, including mine, because I've been using the hashtag every time I tweet about the show. Um, and they're just, like I said, they're so funny. And they just, they're, they're really cool, interesting people. Like, I wish I could be friends with all of them. Uh, but like I said, most of them are in, like, Australia. So, anyway, that's, um, that's all the new social media stuff that's been going on. That's all the new outlets for the show that have been going on. I'm super excited about that. Um, and I didn't get my exact numbers this week, but according to our Lipson stats, we're getting so many downloads and so many listens directly from the, that site as well. Um, and I'm just, like, I'm so grateful. I, I really didn't think this was going to go anywhere, to be completely honest. I thought this was just going to be a cool creative outlet for me, which it still totally is, and I'm <laughs> sticking to my roots. I just am so happy that, you know, some people of like-mindedness are checking me out and, like, commenting on what I have to say or listening to what I have to say or want to, you know, want to engage, want to join in. So I'm really jacked about that. Okay. Um, so lastly, I started last week a new segment called the five minute rant. And I love doing the five minute rant because it gets out any bullshit that I don't want to infect my episode. I can get it out before and just kind of clear the air. But this week, I don't really have anything to rant on. The only thing that really happened today, which was a little annoying, um, was my better half and I spent the beautiful, beautiful 75 degree weather. And we went out today and we went to brunch and then we went to Ralph's Ice Place, which I've never been to before. Um, and it was so good. So we had a little snack after that. And then we just like drove around and enjoyed the beautiful weather. And then we wanted to do some shopping because uh, Bath and Body Works was having an amazing sale today. So both being a fan of that place, we headed to the mall and ended up in Bath and Body Works. Um, we were there. Apparently they were having a $5 sale on all of the fine fragrance mists, which are normally like $14, $15. So that's really good. That's like two thirds off. Um, if my math is correct. That is a really, really good sale. And those bottles are pretty big, and they if you don't wear them a whole lot, like me, they last you for a really long time. Um, and I also knew my sister Tammy's birthday is coming up next week, and I know she wears a couple scents from Bath & Body, so I'm like, all right, let's go check this out. I could spend 5 maybe $10, right? Pick up something for Tammy, pick up something for me. My lady wanted to shop. We were super excited, right? But I haven't been to Bath & Body Works since, like, buying stuff for myself since, oh, I don't know, college, which was, like, 1996 to 2000. Um, so I don't know. They had all these new scents. I, I was just overwhelmed by coconuts and beach and fucking Japanese cherry blossom and all kinds of shit. They had the oldies, but then they have, you know, all this new stuff. Um, and I found this one scent that, as I'm trying on everything, that I really, really liked, and it was called Magic in the Air, I think, right? Or Magic in the... No, it had to be Magic in, Magic in the Sand? Magic in the air? No, I can't remember. Whatever. It smelled really, really good. It was very light and clean, and I like scents like that. So, I combed that entire fucking store, and I found Magic in the Air body wash. I found Magic in the Air body cream. I found lotion. I found, I probably found a fucking candle. I could not find the fragrance mist that was on sale for $5. I was like, well, you son of a bitch. I ended up getting something else that was not comparable in scent, but I really liked it still nonetheless. Um, but I was really frustrated that I couldn't find the fine fragrance mist of that particular flavor. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If you're going to promote this huge fucking sale where you know you're knocking down something that's usually pretty expensive to $5, you're going to expect a lot of foot traffic. Oh, and it's a one-day-only sale. It was just today. 
overstock your products. Hello. I worked in many, many stores in retail, and anytime there was being there was a huge sale being prepared, um, we overstock we got so much overstocked a couple weeks ahead of time to prepare for it. Especially like I said, if you're only doing it for one day, and then who cares if you have overstock? But most likely you're not going to, because like I said, we were at the mall maybe by two o'clock and there were no more bottles of the magic in the air fine fragrance mist left on the shelves so that is my five minute rant for bath and body works i still like you as a store i'm probably still going to shop there but whatever so as i do every week i'm going to end with and that people is what grinds my gears tom bam there you go that's what really grinds my gears so anyway moving on to the episode Let me just get to my notes real quick. So as I said, we are talking about a novel written in 1978, which that's when I was produced as well, so I thought that was pretty cool, uh, entitled The Westing Game. The Westing Game was written by Ellen Raskin. She started out actually as a, um, I did a lot of research on her, um, because A, I'm still in my mindset of female authors, and two, I'm actually teaching this novel to my seventh graders right now. So um, we're, we're very wrapped up in it, and they're very excited. They're really getting into it. Um, so I did a little bit of research to help them out with some like pre-reading activities. Um, Ellen Raskin started out as an illustrator, and she went to she ended up while she decided that she, you know, really had a passion for drawing. She didn't really go to school and study that particularly. I can't remember off the top of my head what she did study, and I didn't write down a lot of her stuff about that. Wait. Wait, maybe I did. Yes, I got it. Hold on. She started as an artist. She illustrated. Okay, I didn't write down what she studied, so that was my fault. Um, but she made her career pretty much as an illustrator, and did so many illustrations for a lot of different novels, her most famous being the original um, cover art for the first edition of A Wrinkle in Time, ironically, which came out in 1963. Uh, So that was pretty cool. I like the connection between that, obviously, because I keep mentioning A Wrinkle in Time and because that is going to be a future episode. Um, So she has won the Newbery Medal twice, once for the Westing Game and once for her 1975 book, uh, Figs and Phantoms, which, as good as the Westing Game was, I think I'm going to check out more of her stuff. Um, A quote I found from Ms. Raskin, I try to say one thing with my work. A book is a wonderful place to be. A book is a package, a gift package, a surprise package. And within the wrappings is a whole new world and beyond. Totally, totally true. Um... So yeah, she seems like a very cool lady. Um, she's no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, she died very young in uh, 1984. Um, but she did a lot of work in her only not even 60 years of being around. So uh, pretty impressive. Um, is there a movie of the novel? Yes, there is. It's not entitled The Westing Game, but it is literally based exactly like what's going on in the book. It's called Get a Clue, and it came out in 1997. I am not showing this to my students, not because it's inappropriate, not because it doesn't cover what happens in the book, because it does, but because the reviews are terrible. And they said that what they do is they actually cut out a lot of maybe like the lesser characters, quote unquote, and they take the personality traits from the characters that they had cut out and merge them into the characters that they actually keep. Excuse me. Which is crap because she 
created these characters like so perfectly and their person like each of their personalities even their down to their nicknames are parts of the clues to like solve the puzzle in the novel so like let me just give you an example it's not a spoiler it won't ruin anything but one of the characters is a 13 year old girl named turtle she's kind of the main character um and the 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 group of people that are involved, and I'll get more into that when I discuss the novel. Uh, there's a group of 16 people. They're split off into pairs, and basically each pair has to try and solve all these clues to, like, win the game. That's the object of the entire thing. And again, I'll get more into it in a bit, but this is just to illustrate how specific Raskin was with naming people and with giving them specific personality traits. So for the move, this fucking movie to besmirch that is kind of pissing me off because like I said, she, there's this one character named Turtle. It's not her real name, but it's her nickname. And, um, in one scene in the novel, uh, her mother is paired with a gentleman and they're going over their clues together to try to win this uh, game, this puzzle. And they really don't like each other, whatever, whatever. So she, the mother of Turtle makes a snarky comment towards the guy that he might be the murderer. They're supposed to be looking for the murderer of this person. So she makes a snarky comment saying that it might be um, her partner, Mr. Who, that that had um, committed the murder because of a clue they had received uh, that included the word S-E-A-C, the word C. He lived in apartment 4C, like letter C. So she was like, well, oh, look, it's, there's a C there, and you live in apartment 4C, so maybe it's you. Like, she's being a bitch. Um, he turned around and made a snarky comment to her, and he goes, no, but look at it. It's spelled S-E-A, like the C, you know, where turtles live. And I read that, and I, like, wanted to drop the mic. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, he totally just slammed her and her kid, who, I mean, is only 13 years old, so most likely she's not the murderer. But... He was just like flipped that around and obviously he didn't do it. Raskin was the one that wrote that line and she wrote that line knowing that everybody called the kid Turtle and it was a dig to not just Turtle but to the whole family. So it was so like well crafted and you can't just besmirch that by like snatching personality traits from other people and jamming them into wherever you want to be all willy nilly. So that kind of pissed me off. Um, So that's one reason why I won't watch the movie because... My students are really, really invested in this book right now, and I don't want them to watch this movie. And then what happens to me sometimes is where after you watch the movie, you're just completely disappointed and you lose the like the real excitement that you had from reading the book in the first place. So I don't want to do that to them. But um, like I wrote a little bit about what I read on IMDb. I said the one review on IMDb was terrible. Um, they got rid of... Okay, I said that. Um, oh, the person who... The Rothi review, who I found out all that information from, she had quoted and said, I could see no reason as to why anyone would want to turn such a good book into such a bad movie. Touche. Okay, so that's enough on the movie. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, I just wrote down some notes on uh, while I did my summary of the book, just because... 
It's super confusing. There's so many characters, which I'll explain in summary. Uh, so I had to take some really careful notes this week. Okay, so the summary of the book is that a rich man named Samuel Westing was found dead in his home at the beginning of the novel. Prior to that, the people were chosen to live in a new apartment complex. Oh, I'm sorry, 16 people were chosen to live in a new apartment complex called Sunset Towers. Oddly enough, all of the tenants of Sunset Towers happened to be beneficiaries to the will of Samuel Westing, but the only way to collect the whole estate was to play and win a game. The people are partnered up, given a set of clues, and left to their own devices. Um, so that's basically that. Uh, so all these people that had end up being his heirs or his beneficiaries were chosen prior to the reading of the will, so they had no idea that they were being grouped together, and it turned out that um, in one of the lines of Westing's will was that he was leaving his estate to his 16 nieces and nephews, which was very baffling because um, two of the people in the group were engaged to each other, so that was kind of weird. Um, one of the families was Chinese, one of the women in the group was black, and then everybody else was white of different backgrounds and stuff like that. So uh, it was very confusing as to why Westing's will said that they, the, his beneficiaries were his 16 nieces and nephews, unless that was supposed to be a term of endearment or whatever the case. We never really find out. But uh, as I said, they all were chosen to play, uh, take part in this game. And the game was to find out who was the murderer of Samuel Westing. What do you mean? Murder. Ha <laughs> ha. Love it. Uh, so yeah, um, one of the beneficiaries was his murderer, so everybody else had to find out who that was. Uh, the novel was really well done. Uh, like I said earlier, Raskin is a very awesome writer. And like I said, that's why the, the movie is such a a shambles because you're you, you can't take snippets from these like so well developed characters in a novel and then just you know just jam them into other people's personalities like it doesn't work that way um but the clues were interwoven into the story so well that when you as the reader finally did figure out what was going on it was such a satisfying like aha moment um for example one of the characters was named or okay Raskin named one of the characters by piecing together three either words or parts of a word from America the Beautiful, hence why that was played at the beginning. Um, and it plays out exactly the way you wanted to. Everybody, every pair was given four words or pieces of a word or different things like that. And when you put them all together, if you as a reader, spoiler alert, if you as the reader write down every pair's four words that they receive out all of their clues and you just if you look at it just for a second and you put it together in your brain it actually ends up being the lyrics to america the beautiful minus three sections of words which uh, make up this person's name um let's see uh actually there's no villain there's no like real bad guy in it uh, so I kind of like that. The characters are all flawed and just like very human in their own way, but there's no like real villain. Uh, and even the hero has their flaws, which is obviously totally fine. There's no one 100% good person and 100% bad person in it. So I really like that a lot. And I think that's important in children's novels too, because it shows that people aren't just one dimensional and, you know, we all have different sides. Um, 
yeah, there's no one at the end of the story where you're like, oh, I hate that guy, I wish he died. Um, every character has redeeming qualities that makes you root for them. At the end, when you hear about what they did with their lives afterwards, you're satisfied. Um, there's one story in the book that kind of confused me a little bit. It's at the very beginning. Um, and if you are reading along and you have any comments on this or questions, please hit me up and we can talk about it. Um, there's a story in the beginning of the book that talks about these two unfortunate fellows. That's literally, there's quotes around there. Um, that is one of those, like, you know, urban myths that's always passed down. And what had happened was that they had supposedly, these two young kids, they don't say if they're boys or girls, but these two young kids go into the Westing Mansion a really long time ago and get spooked by the idea that there was a ghost or a spirit or something haunting the house. And they both run out, uh, one of which apparently had blood dripping from his hands, and he starts freaking out and he starts saying the words purple waves over and over again. And they end up, you know, after they find him, they take him away and they put him in asylum and he just sits in an asylum and says purple waves over and over again. And the other person runs out of the mansion so fast, doesn't see that they're on the top of a very high cliff and falls over and dies. Um, very cool story. Very interesting story. And if you're following the whole America the Beautiful tie-in, purple waves are two of the words in the song. So, okay, so that makes sense. So maybe they they got that clue or they, you know, there was, there was something, there was some kind of tie-in with the song, but why the story was specifically told about these two guys or two girls, like I said, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. And they never really bring it up again later on, or especially at the end of the book when everything is being tied together. Cause I don't really understand that part. Um, oh, okay. Spoiler alert again. Sorry about that. There's one character, Theo, who every time the 16 heirs get together and have meetings about um, their the game that they're playing and the clues that they receive, he always says to them, I think it would be best, guys, if we all got together and showed each other our clues because working in pairs and we're only getting four clues at a time isn't making any sense. So if we get together, we show each other what we have, I think we can really figure out who the murderer is and then maybe, you know, split the estate amongst the 16 of us because I think the estate totals like $2 million or yeah, $2 million or something like that. So his rationale is like, well, let's all figure it out together and then we all win. Um, so I said that there would be no way that they would have been able to figure out who the murderer or the, the end, the object of the game was had they not done that. They do end up doing it at the end of the book. Hence why there's a spoiler. Um, and that's how they all figure out that all the words spell out America the Beautiful. So there's no way they would have been able to figure that out had they not finally said, okay, let's come together and pool our, cl our clues. You know, it's kind of kind of silly on their part. Next page of my notes. Um, oh, so this is just a wonderful tie-in for me. Like I said, uh, the movie that they chose to make of this book, Get a Clue, was super horrible. So... Like you've been hearing, um, and you will be hearing again in a moment, I'm tying this into the movie Clue. And one of the reasons is just because Clue's an awesome movie. Secondly, in the book, The Westing Game, there are three different endings. Just like as if you know, if you're a fan of the cult classic uh, movie Clue based on the game, there are three different endings to that as well. And if you have the DVD, you can actually choose, do I want to just watch it with like one random ending thrown in or do I want to watch all three endings? I always watch all three endings because they're all awesome. Um, so again, super, super, super spoiler. If you 
don't want to know what happens at the end, or if you didn't read it yet and are waiting to, you know, read it, but you want to listen to this episode anyway, I would suggest pausing the episode now and maybe going to read the book, because I'm about to ruin all three endings for you. <laughs> so, ending number one. Um, Turtle, who I mentioned earlier, is um, throughout the game, is 13 years old. Um, she's the one that ends up solving the mystery. Uh, the other character, she's the one that figures out uh, who the important players are. They have kind of like a mock trial because one of the players actually is a judge. Um, so Turtle is the one that able, is able to figure out all that, and she's the one who ends up winning the prize and the object of the game. The other characters go about their lives. Um, she also figured out that Samuel Westing, throughout the game, was actually still alive. And he had had three different aliases throughout the course of the game. He went by three different people and he donned all these different disguises to try and just kind of slip in. And all of those three aliases had directions hidden in the last names of all the aliases. So Samuel Westing was his true name and West is in Westing. Uh, Sandy McSouthers is another name that he went by and he put on a disguise where he was the doorman of Sunset Towers. And so obviously McSouthers, S-O-U-T-H, South. Um, there's a character who was br very briefly mentioned in the beginning of the book. He's the realtor for Sunset Towers and he's the one that makes absolutely positive that all 16 heirs are the ones that end up renting the uh, apartments in Sunset Towers. And his name is Barney Northrup. North, all right? It's actually Samuel Westing. And then lastly, after Samuel Westing, quote-unquote, dies, his partner, Julian Eastman, East, is the one that takes over his company, Westing Paper Products. So Turtle puts that all together because she becomes really close friends with Sandy the doorman. She knows his full name. Um, she knows Barney Northrop because he's the guy that sold her parents the apartment. And then she meets Eastman, Eastman after... Westing dies, so she puts those four pieces together. So that's one of the endings. This ending two is where nobody wins, but then five years later, we see everybody later on. So everybody is growing up and becoming more successful. Um, in this particular ending, one of the characters, Dr. Deer, who was supposed to be engaged to Turtle's older sister, Angela, he never married. So that's one clue that all of these endings are kind of different. They have their own different little... Um, like paths in which they go. And then ending number three is Turtle still did discover um, the clues and the, the answer to the object of the game, but she wasn't given the complete estate until Samuel Westing actually died. So you see her adult life. She follows in her uncle's footsteps. She becomes very successful by getting involved with the stock market going to college and focusing on like finance and business and things like that and ends up working for her uncle's company and is with him when he actually dies. And then he tells her, upon my death, you are the sole beneficiary and you will be inheriting Westing paper products. So that's how she wins the game, quote unquote. But unfortunately, because she got so close to her uncle throughout her adult life, she's very sad. So it's like, it's like one of those things where you like wish for a new car or something, but the way you get the new car is that your father dies and you like inherit the car. So it's like at this point, you know, she's an older woman. She understands, you know, the importance of having like a close relationship. It's like she doesn't want the estate anymore, but she gets it anyway because she was his closest relative. Um, and in this ending as well, 
Dr. Deer and Angela do end up getting married. Um, so this is another kind of clue to the reader that, oh wait, we're on a, a third different path that we were not on from the first and the second. Um, Deer and Angela end up getting married. Turtle ends up getting married to Theo, the guy that kept saying to everybody that they should pool all their clues. And Angela and Deer have a daughter who they bring to Turtle's house and have her uh, visit with her and she becomes like her favorite niece and uh, like teaches her how to play chess and all kinds of cool stuff. A lot of like different tie-ins to earlier in the novel, which was really sweet. Um, I mean, so for me personally, the third ending is my favorite because I love seeing how shit gets tied in like later on. So, but that's just me. You find your own favorite and talk to me about that. Hit me up on Twitter. Find me on email, brookreading at gmail.com, and send me all your comments and questions about what you think about this book. Anyway, we all revealed we'd all received a letter. You had a letter, you had a letter, you had a letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point is, blackmail. Yes, blackmail, Wadsworth. Thank you very much. Uh, that wasn't the case in our book. The reason I just played that clip was because um, in the beginning, after the will was read, and after the partners were found and split up to play the game amongst each other, um, Weston kept, in his apparent death, kept calling them back to the mansion at different intervals during the novel to have these meetings. And during the meetings, they would receive a letter with their clues or with further instructions or whatever the case. And they would also receive checks for $10,000, which they were told that they could do whatever they wanted to do in order to try and um, either uh, piece together whatever they needed in order to try and win the game or figure out what the uh, what the what the end game was right so if they needed it to buy things or to bribe or to do whatever they could do whatever they wanted with the money it didn't matter um so like for example turtle played the stock market because she thought that their clues were clues to uh different stocks that you could buy and she thought that the ad object of the game was whomever won the most money on the or whoever made so much profit with their ten thousand dollars would be the winner of the estate so everybody did different things with their stuff but Throughout different intervals in the novel, everybody kept receiving these letters with these clues, and there was a big push on, um, you had these little pieces of paper, and obviously, too, um, Samuel Westing's company was Westing Paper Products, so you heard a lot about not only buying paper towels and toilet paper and things like that, but there were, all the clues were on paper, and they were very specific, like there were four little squares of paper that you received your clues on, and you'd have to memorize them and kind of like either throw them away or I think Turtle ate hers, uh, so your other compatriots wouldn't steal your information. Also, um, one of the characters, Seidel Pulaski, was a stenographer for another company, and that was her previous job before she stopped for a while to do this. And she, being a secretary at the time, she had practiced in uh, stenography and different things like that. So while they were actually hearing the will, she got to write down really important information that she thought she could maybe use while during the playing of the game. And everybody thought she wrote in shorthand, so somebody actually stole her steno notebook and tried to decipher her shorthand so they could figure out what was written in the will. It turned out that Seidel Pulaski wrote down the will in Polish, which only she could understand at the time. So that was another reveal about the background of these people as well. If um, if Samuel Westing was just an unknown white man, and then we have uh, a Chinese family named the Who's, we have um, 
who was it? Judge Ford, who was a black woman. We have Seidel Pulaski, who was a Polish woman. Most likely, they're not all related. But, like I said, we still haven't discovered the mystery as to why Westing referred to all of them as his 16 nieces and nephews. Unless it was just, like I said, um, a term of endearment or something like that. Um, some of the people that he had named that ended up playing the game and were, you know, possible winners of his estate were people that had worked for him or different things like that. Um, the only people that were actually related to him that we find out at the end are the Wexler family. So that was Grace and her husband Jake, but Grace's maiden name uh, is the same as Westing's original last name before he had changed it to Westing. And her daughters, Turtle and Angela, both of whom we've heard about already for a while. Um, so that is basically that on the Westing game. This is going to be a pretty short episode, um, because it was, to be honest, it was a pretty short book, and, uh, I pretty much covered everything I wanted to cover. This is, again, just one of those ones where, when you read, have a pencil next to you. Um, mainly for the characters, keeping the characters straight. For, like, the first ten chapters, I would think, ten to twelve chapters, you... I, I mean, I was doing this, like I said, because I'm teaching the novel anyway. I took no, like very careful notes on the characters. I even went on uh, schmoop.com, which is a great website if you're a teacher or a student and you need some extra help. It's kind of like the spark notes of the millennial age. Um, but going on that to get like a little analysis of the characters to help me keep track of who's who <laughs> um, was very helpful. Um, so I would, if you are reading it, keep a, keep a notepad nearby. But other than that, it, the reward is great because it's funny. Like, I found myself laughing out loud. And like I said, it's just so reminiscent of the movie Clue for me. Not just with the three endings, but just because of the the very carefully placed clues and the, excuse me, the red herrings that kept popping out that you were not uh, really expecting to happen. It was really cool. So on that note, I'm actually going to call it uh, an episode and I'm going to go now and piece this all together so we can release it and, and give it a listen. Um, but thank you again so much for joining us. Um, I'm really excited about this episode just because I love this book so much and we got to hear sound bites from Clue. That was always fun. Um, to everybody who listens now, old and new, thank you so, so, so much. Please keep your comments and your well wishes coming. Like I said, all the new followers on Twitter, I'm so excited to have you guys, all of my old listeners and, you know, friends and loved ones. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your eternal support. I always appreciate it. Everybody who talks to me now is always asking me, how's the podcast going? How's everything going? And I love that. It just really makes my day because I love this little thing. So I appreciate all you. Thank you so much. I don't know what we're reading yet next week. Um, may it be a wrinkle in time. I'll go see if uh, Vic has any free time to sit with me and record um, that classic children's novel. Or we'll get into something heavier again because this was, you know, this was our comedy. But I thank you again for listening. Keep your eye on Twitter to see what our next book will be. And I'll see you soon. Have a good night. Communism was just a red herring. <laughs>
Thank you.